Uh, we are in the middle of our, well actually we're coming to the end of our Acts series, so we are in Acts 25, and we're going to be in Acts 25, 23 uh, today, and it's uh, another longer section of, of Scripture. And this is Paul coming before yet another couple authority figures to explain himself. And uh, the really interesting thing with Paul is that it just, when it comes right down to it, the mob wants Paul gone. He's very disruptive. But when it comes to a court of law, no one can figure out how to accuse him of anything. Uh, not even, not even uh, according to the, the national law, but also according to the Jewish laws of Paul's own people. There's just no, there's no reason for why he's being uh, brought before. But we know that uh, the persecution is because he's sharing a message that, the, that the, world, the world is going in this one direction and God has changed things uh, through Jesus. And there's a new way to connect with God through Jesus. And so it's, the world in a way is kind of pushing back at Paul and this message, which is the message we still preach today. It's such an authentic and powerful message about uh, God's great love and forgiveness of sins and reconciliation through Jesus that it has survived the test of time. Whereas other things have come and gone, uh, the gospel remains the good news. So let's start in Acts 25, 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. And the last time I saw someone come into a room with great pomp was down an escalator. Do you remember that? <laughs> that was awesome. Okay. I just imagined when I was reading this week, like them coming down an escalator. You know. Uh, you know, official candidates running, whatever it is. These are officials in the government. So Grip and Bernice came down the room with great pomp, entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Festus is the procurator, so he's a, uh, an authority figure in the Roman government, uh, not a Jew. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me above, about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, to Caesar, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. This is, a, this is comical. You know, they're, try, they're trying to... This poor Roman, Roman uh, proconsul, he is not familiar with the intricacies of, of Judaism. He's got Jewish people saying that Paul deserves to die, but he cannot figure out for the life of him why that is. And so he brings in Agrippa. And uh, here's what you need to know about King Agrippa. First of all, he's Agrippa II. Uh, so he's the sequel to Agrippa I, which if you were riveted by that one, this is the sequel. And like most sequels, except possibly Terminator 2, he's not as good as the first one. Uh, but still, bo both weren't very good. Agrippa was what was called a client ruler of Rome. So he was, a, he was a, a Jewish man who was made a king by the Roman government. And, uh, 
and he was uh, put in charge of appointing the priests to the temple and overseeing temple worship. And temple worship was the heartbeat of the Jewish people. So here we have the government, the, the un-Jewish, you know, un an un-Jewish government, not monotheistic, a government that commands that everyone worship the emperor, Emperor Caesar, and that anyone who doesn't worship Caesar should be put to death, that government, in order to keep peace, appointed this person who has one foot on one end and one foot, one foot on the other. You know, he's, he's for the interests of Rome, but he's overseeing the temple. And so the temple has been compromised. You know, it's been compromised uh, because Rome is kind of pulling the strings through King Agrippa. Uh, so he was, he was the, a client ruler of, of Rome. Uh, there was only, like I said, there was only one legal religion in Rome, but they made an exception for the Jews because they didn't want trouble with a huge group of people. The Jews have a long history of not worshiping uh, false gods or people, a long and proud history. And uh, all you have to do is just read a little bit of the Old Testament, and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're commanded to bow before the golden image, and Nebuchadnezzar has him thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to do so. And then there was a fourth man in there, an angel of God, that rescued them. It's a great story. But this is an example of the, the Jewish spirit. Can do, you know? Uh, they, they stood up. Uh, think about Mordecai would not bow the knee to Haman. You know, they, they just refused to do that. But Rome, Rome loved one thing more than emperor worship. They loved money. They wanted their tax money. So they thought, we have this big group of Jew Jewish people who've been conquered by us. If we demand that they worship only Caesar, it's going to be an uprising, and we're going to have to kill a bunch of people. We'd rather get their tax dollars. This is not how government works, right? <laughs> or, I don't know. Maybe that is how government works. This is how the powers work in the world, right? So Rome was smart. There was a reason they were top dog, and, and they were that for so, as long as they were. Um, because they took care of problems and they made it so that uh, they could get the maximum amount of tax dollars necessary to fund whatever they wanted to build. So, uh, so the one religion that was legal in, in, in Rome was Judaism. But in order to keep their fingers in control, they appointed these Jewish kings to oversee the temple. So it wasn't, the temple became uh, compromised. Uh, so the Agrippa family, were those client rulers. Uh, they, they took care of the temple. Uh, but the problem was that the, the Agrippas, and this is Agrippa II, he was the last client ruler of, for Rome uh, in the temple. They just weren't very good at it. They had a bunch of issues. And so Rome had to keep on sending people like proconsuls. And we see Felix and Festus, they come in to try to fix stuff because it's just not going so great. What do we know about this Jewish king, King Agrippa? This is probably really important for you to understand the level of corruption we're looking at here. King Agrippa, who he says he came in with great pomp uh, along with Bernice, he actually had a relationship with his sister, his blood sister, Bernice, which, which everyone kind of knew about, but they kind of winked at. So he was, he was corrupted in that way, and that was something that was both looked down on in the pagan world as well as obviously in Judaism. Uh, in Deuteronomy 27:22, you know, it prohibits blood relatives from, from, or brother and sister from marrying. So everyone kind of knew about it, but no one really made a big deal out of it. But he was, he was compromised. It was a willful, it wasn't like a one-time thing. It was willful, it was persistent. He came down the royal escalator with the lady, and he was flaunting it. So they came down, they sat on their thrones, but it was brother and sister. 
And so he's brought in, King Agrippa, the client ruler of Rome, to be the authority on Judaism and what is right, what is wrong, and what the law says by King Festus. And he brings Paul before him. So you know some interesting stuff is going to happen. Because Paul kind of just said what he thought all the time. But King Agrippa was someone that, that uh, certainly uh, straddled the line. So uh, if you'll look in the rest of our reading today, I want you to notice very carefully uh, that Paul, though he is speaking to both Festus and Agrippa, he is addressing Agrippa time and time again, just saying, talking to him. And he does it in such an artful way. And I think we're going to see something interesting uh, that God did in this today. So starting in, ver- in chapter 26, we're going to read the whole chapter. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And Paul understood that, you know, this guy was compromised, but he's, he's heralding him as an expert. Uh, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. This was the dominant... Uh, group in, in Judaism. So Paul is pointing out his credentials as someone who knows what he's talking about. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors I am, I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? You know, Paul caused a lot of trouble by, he got Sadducees and Pharisees together, and the Sadducees were a sect of Judaism that denied that people could, there was a resurrection. And so Paul got out of a couple rough spots by saying, I believe in the resurrection. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees fought together, and Paul slipped out. So this is how he's gotten in trouble, and everyone riled up. So he says to King Agrippa, you know, this is the dominant viewpoint in Judaism, the Pharisee viewpoint that there is a resurrection. And so he says, it's hard for me to believe, uh, why should any of you consider it's incredible that God raises the dead? In other words, Agrippa, I know that you know this is not incredible, according to our own faith. I too was convinced that I ought to tell, to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Even earlier in Acts, Paul cast his vote against Stephen, and Stephen was martyred. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of the Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as, to, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So as I'm envisioning this passage, I think of Agrippa hearing this logic, hearing his own tradition spoken back to him about the resurrection, about the hope of a Messiah who is going to bring salvation. And I think Agrippa's getting nervous because he knows that what Paul is saying is not easily refutable. But Paul's deductive reasoning and argument has kind of pushed him into a little bit of a corner. But at this point in the conversation, as Paul is giving his, uh, his defense, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane, which is how it would look to someone who was non-Jewish, you know, had no idea what he was talking about. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king, King Agrippa, is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Oof. I, I really think he's getting into Agrippa's territory here. Because Agrippa is an unrepentant sinner in Judaism, who's refusing, uh, who's, who's refusing this thing that God is doing. And I think that he can see. I think that he can see what Paul is saying. And this is something that you can't really pick up if you just read the English text. But in, in, the, in the translation, in the words there used, there's a, there's a great degree of frustration and anger. This is an outburst from Agrippa. Think about when you, uh, you know... <laughs> Someone's giving you the silent treatment. They're quiet, they're quiet. And you goad them, and you push them. And finally, they shout what they're upset about. This is the kind of feel that Agrippa has when he says to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? He's just mad. It's embarrassing. It's in front of everybody. Remember the royal escalator. Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Throwing a little bit of humor at the end. Paul defused the situation and also uh, spared Agrippa's dignity, seeing that he was hardened in heart, made a little joke. And then the king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. The experts have come together. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. 
The part of this passage that, uh, well, this whole passage is just absolutely fascinating to me. And I really enjoyed learning the, learning the history and the intricacies. I hope, I hope I haven't bored you with it. But it's so interesting to know who these characters are and what their background was. And, uh, and the thing that really stuck out to me as something that God was, was speaking this week is found in 26, uh, 14. And this is, this, is a, you know, this is the third time that Paul has recounted his conversion experience to, on the road to Damascus. It's the only time that this little uh, addendum appears. Jesus says, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what a goad is? It's not the kind that goes bleat, bleat. And you, you know, it's not like a goat. Like when you goad someone, you're prodding them, right? You know, you talk about goading someone. Back, back in the agricultural times, and maybe even in modern times, they'd call it goading when the, the shepherd would take a sharpened you know, stick or something and poke at an animal to get them to go in the right direction. And, uh, and so that's goading the animal. And the more that the animal tries to go in the wrong direction, the, the more he was, <laughs> the shepherd would goad the animal. And they also have goads that go into the mouth, like a mouthpiece that has some, some uh, sh- sharpened kind of prongs in it kind of pull them. It might be like a, like a dog's shock collar, you know. My mother-in-law was talking about shock collars last night, so that's on my mind. Um, and I was, and think about that. Every time you try to go one direction, you get a little electric jolt. That's kind of what a goat is. And I just heard the compassion of Jesus Christ when he said this, this uh, sentence to Paul. Uh, Why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. He's saying, look, Paul, I'm going a different direction than you're going. Uh, not only are you going against my salvation, which I brought through Jesus, and you're persecuting Jesus' people and killing them, but I'm doing, I, I am do, not, not only is it you, but the whole culture is going against uh, this whole teaching about Jesus and, and, uh, and going against the resurrection, going against my chosen method of salvation. It, it's true that the, the law and the prophets uh, prophesied that Jesus would come. But when he finally showed up, people didn't recognize him. And people were expecting something different. And it's kind of like, you know, during, during, a, during and I've seen, you know, several elections now, presidential and otherwise, where people have all kinds of hope and excitement about a candidate. And then about six to 12 months in, the approval rating is down to here. And, and they have to kind of do a, do a cleanup job. And people were expecting a different kind of candidate than Jesus. They were not expecting the way that God was going to guide the whole world and the way that God was trying to guide Paul, uh, that, you know, it would be salvation and sanctification and opening of eyes through, uh, through, through Jesus, through this uh, forgiveness of sins that you receive through faith in Jesus that we've talked about all day here. This wasn't what people were looking for. They were looking for a political Messiah that would overthrow the Roman government. And so this is what God was doing. And, uh, and, and, Jesus lovingly says to Paul in his conversion, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to, to, know, to see what God is doing and then go the other direction. That much, takes much more energy than obeying and following Jesus. Uh, it's, it's incredibly draining. And Paul was just going zealously forward in his persecution of the Christians, but God was saying, look, this is what I'm doing. Salvation is through Jesus. These people that you call the way, the Christians, are my people. They are doing my mission of salvation in the world. And you are going against them. 
And as a very wise uh, Gamaliel, I believe, said in, in the time of Jesus, you know, if let this man alone, if what he is doing is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is God's work, you will find that you are fighting against God if you resist him. You know, if you resist him. And so this is the thing. Paul was pushing against the goads, and he was going in the other direction, and Jesus lovingly corrected him. Paul, it's hard for you to be going in this direction. Let me show you a new way. And Paul was converted. He put his faith in Jesus, and he, was, he, was, uh, he became one of the people that he had previously been persecuting. And he became the one that brought the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul is relating this story to our good friend Agrippa. Agrippa is pushing against the goads. He's in an incestuous relationship with his sister. He's supposed to be almost above the high priest as far as spiritual authority because he appointed the high priest and the priesthood in the entire temple. The entire life of the Jews in Rome was under his control as, as the, the agent of the Roman government. And here Paul presents him with a flawless, well-reasoned argument Look, Agrippa, I know you believe the law and the prophets. I know you believe in the resurrection. Why is it so amazing to you that Jesus should be raised from the dead? Why is it so incredible to you that there could be salvation through his name by faith? Why is this so incredible to you? And Agrippa chose to turn from that, uh, from that goad. Paul was simply doing for Agrippa what Jesus had already done for him on the road. It's hard for you to do this. Turn, and he didn't. Paul knew well. There's a time to, to, to push, and then there's a time to lay off a little bit and let God do his work. Some people plant seeds, some people water them, but God makes them grow. Paul knew that he couldn't convert this guy in this moment, but maybe he was planting a little seed in Agrippa's heart. Maybe in Agrippa's mind, there was a conviction, and there was a seed, and there was this question. Maybe I'm going the wrong direction at full throttle, like Paul was when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. And finally, Paul's little, little uh, sleight of hand, when, he, when Agrippa has his outburst, Agrippa says, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul says, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may be what I am, except for these chains. And this is the same message that I bring to you today. The message of salvation through faith in Jesus. That Jesus is rescuing us. That he's on a mission to open our eyes and turn us from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that we might receive forgiveness of sins and the place among those who are sanctified by faith in him. Because truthfully, anyone in this church would say to you, yeah, I am trying, I do want you to become a Christian. I want you to become as I am. But in short time or long, whatever it takes, that's what we want for you. Uh, we want you to know salvation through Jesus Christ. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is he will convict you. He will touch your heart. He will show you your need of a savior and you're in your need of a relationship with God. But just like Paul, he is not going to push you and manipulate you against your will. You know, people need to make their own decisions in their own time, but, but, the, but the, the invitation is out there. 
that if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. It never goes well for people when they harden their hearts to God. It takes so much more energy to fight against the goad than it does to listen to the voice of the shepherd that is calling out for your soul. And it's so easy to walk away from a service like this where someone is sharing about Jesus and how you should give your life to him and you should have faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. You should be as I am. It's so easy to walk away from that or, or to fight against that message and just kind of put it off to the side. But this is still the same offer of salvation that was offered from Paul to Festus and from Jesus to Paul. It's the same message we've been offering for, for a couple thousand years. It still rings true. Jesus has come that we might have life and life abundantly. The devil has come only to seek, um, kill, and destroy. So this morning, if you hear his voice, I'm encouraging you to respond in faith. If you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not asked Jesus to forgive your sins and received the gift of salvation that he's provided through his sacrifice on the cross that we've been talking about today, today is the day of salvation. So as the worship team comes forward, I don't know if there's anyone here who this applies to, where they feel like they, they need to give their life to Christ and ask Jesus for that forgiveness, but I invite you to come forward and, and pray with me, because God just might be pushing you in your heart, um, and that's a push that leads to salvation and life abundant in him. So if you would like to respond in faith, uh, come forward and just come to the front and Myself and some of the other elders are here to pray for you. And also, if you'd like to rededicate your life to Jesus and just you feel like you haven't been walking with him very closely at all and you need to reevaluate things and reorient yourself, you know, you can come up to re receive prayer too. But it's all about us learning to live life with Jesus uh, in the Holy Spirit. Um, it's all about us living this life where we follow his leading and it all starts with us giving our lives over to him. So as the team plays, feel free to come forward. I'll be here to pray with you. Others are as well.